the only other thing that I wanted to talk about before I jumped into the sermon was Thanksgiving's right around the corner. Um, we're talking about food today, so we're going to keep on going with food. And we have some Thanksgiving cross chats coming up for our student ministries. Um, and if you have some high schoolers, junior high kids, college students that you know of, um, we have cross chats set up for Thanksgiving specifically. Uh, it, it's, it's always cool to be around family during Thanksgiving, but it's, it can be cool to even experience that same kind of environment with peers. And so if you know of any junior high or high school kids that would just love to be around a Thanksgiving dinner with other junior high and high school kids, um, you know, let me know. We have, a, we have some youth leaders as well. There's some things on the back of your bulletin as well that you can look at to get involved with that. But let's jump in today because I know you guys are hungry. Um, let's, uh, let's talk about what we've been talking about for the last six to seven months. We've been talking about, um, well, I guess we're in November now, so it's been 11 months. Holy cow. Uh, this whole year, we've been going through a series called To Be Continued. This has actually been our, um, our mission for the year to walk through this idea of to be continued. And what this essentially stands for is we believe that when you look through the Bible, it's not just a storybook. It's not just a history book, but it's meant to be something that we can look at through history to change and challenge our hearts and lives, that we can continue what was done in history Today, we believe that in the book of Acts, the first, the, kind of the first blow up of churches after Jesus died on the cross in the Gospels, and he comes and he comes in back of the first few books of Acts. The, the book of Acts is actually short for the Acts of the Apostles because it talks about what they did because of what happened to Jesus on the cross. And you see this giant explosion of Christianity happen, and all these churches start blowing up. And you see lots of disciples, you see lots of conversions. And we believe here at the Crossings Church that that was meant to be something that happened in history that we're supposed to look at and say that is a legacy that has been passed down to us today. And it's our obligation and responsibility to continue that story today so that we can look at our lives and say that we followed the same model. We followed the same process because we still are impacted by the same message that happened in the Gospels. And so we've been walking through this and trying to look and learn through different things that have happened in the books of Acts and say, how can our church continue this, continue this history? How can our church continue these things? And we're going to continue with what we've been talking about um, in Acts 22. And so what we've been talking about and what we're going to be talking about today is if you guys would like to follow along, we have some notes in your guys' bulletins if you guys want to pull those out. Um, and the title today um, is What Only a Blind Man Could See. And I don't know about you guys, but I don't think blind guys can see a lot, right? Um, it's not really something that is usually an attribute with blind people. Uh, a good indicator is one of the greatest movies in cinematic history. We're going to watch a little clip from it real quick. But watch this little clip of uh, how blind men can actually see. Error occurred. Give it a second. It's such a great movie that they might have just taken it away from us and copyrighted it right off the bat. Kung Fu Panda. Hmm. We'll give them a second or so. It's all good. Well, if you get it, just flip it up there. If not, we'll just kind of walk through it. But it was one of the greatest movies, Dodgeball, right? Um, <laughs> And Ben Stiller, uh, he's, you know, he's, he's in charge of uh, the, the, the Cobras, right? And they go and they go, tss, 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 right? And they go in and they got that whole model and, and, and they make it seem like they're like the top dogs and Vince Vaughn's on the average Joe's team, right? And they go to this scene where it's sudden death and they got to face each other one-on-one, -on -one, 
right? And Vince Vaughn decides to put on a blindfold. And it's funny because the announcer's like, whoa, we've never seen this before, Joe. I don't know what's going to happen. He goes, yeah, I mean, that's really good. That's going to impact his sight for sure, you know? And like just making a joke about it. And then what ends up happening is, you know, Ben Stiller throws his ball and he does his crazy, Vince Vaughn does his crazy matrix move and then grabs his ball and turns and throws it and knocks him out. And it's hilarious. But it's just a good illustration of sometimes when we're blinded, our, heightened, or our senses are heightened in other areas. If you guys ever watched any shows, I know that there's a show called C with Jason Momoa, and I think that that, I haven't seen it a lot. I haven't seen it, but I know it's about, I think uh, just everyone's pretty much blind and their senses have to be heightened. Um, the Bird Box, you know, if you've ever seen the Bird Box movies, they're not necessarily blind, but they have to blindfold themselves because whenever they see something visually, it can change the outcome of uh, how it impacts them. And there is a guy in scripture called Saul. And you may not necessarily know Saul by his former name if you don't know a lot about Scripture, but you may know the the name Paul. And Saul essentially was Paul in his previous life before he was blinded and came to know God for who he really was and changed his life. And that's what we're going to be talking about today because for, for Saul, it took a blinding to heighten a sense in his life, which was his heart. You know, we think about the other senses, but what happened to Saul was he had to go blind. He had to be blinded by God to have a sense in his heart to be changed and converted into a man that really knew God for who he really was. And I think just like Saul, um, there are certain things that we need to see that we can at times be so blinded by because of the way that we live or the, the culture that we grew up in, or the things that we've always known, we let those things that we can really see right in front of us blind us from what's really happening in our relationships with God and what God is really wanting us to see. And Saul, uh, as now he is Paul, and that's what we're going to talk about in Acts 22, he is now Paul, but he is talking to a crowd of people who are very upset with him, and he's wanting them to know some of the things that had happened in his life to lead him up to who he is today and expressing to them some of the maybe blind spots that they have in their lives that he had to walk through himself. And so we're going to kind of follow along with this today and look at seven different things that just like Saul Tarsus needed to see, we need to as well. And so the first one is like Saul of Tarsus, I need to see that number one, my tradition can blind me from the truth. That my tradition can blind me from the truth. In Acts 22... We start off, and he he addresses this crowd that he's talking to, and he says, brothers and fathers. Now, that seems very intimate that there can be a relatability there, right? He's not just talking to a random crowd, but he's talking, it sounds like it's more of a familial tag with these people. He says, listen to my defense. When they heard him speak in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Once again, speaking in their same language, there was more of a relatability and understanding that, that, that he was trying to communicate, I know who you guys are. I know what you're about. I'm from the same kind of area. I'm a Jew born in Tarsus of Sicilia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. And so, you know, Paul at this time now was pretty much indicating, listen, guys, like I'm, I'm from your backyard. Like I'm not just some random street preacher that's trying to come in here and show you how self-righteous I am because I'm a different kind of person now. And I've, I've got this arrogance about me. He's like, listen, I'm one of you. I'm from the same area. I know what you guys deal with. I know what you guys have been through. And he even talks about that he studied under this this guy named Gamaliel. And, or Gamaliel, I'm still butchering it. Um, 
Uh, but imagine this guy is like the professor of professors. He is like if you were to be a teacher, you would go to school and, and, and study under this guy to be a teacher. He was highly respected in that time to give, a, to give across scripture to, to those that were being trained in the law. And so when he looks at this, um, he gets this in, he's trying to get this illustration out. It's not in an illustration. It's a relatability. He says, listen, I am just like you guys. I want you guys to hear me. I want you guys to respect me because I'm no different than what you guys are. I was no different than what you guys were. I had the same kind of church background and upbringing. I had the same kind of background that I felt. And he's trying to get them to understand that he is in that same spot. But later he will soon describe in later chapters or later books of the Bible in Philippians and Colossians and and Corinthians that it was those same traditions that almost made him completely lose sight of his relationship with God. That it was the same things that they are connecting on, that they're willing to sit and listen to. Like, well, we'll hear this guy out because he's got this background and he's got this knowledge and he's got this language. And that same ear, he says later in, in different books, he says, this, these are some of the reasons why I had a hard time really seeing God for who he was. And I think it's important for us to hear that today because I think in, in times in our own lives, we can have our own heritage in, in a way, even our religious heritage, that we can listen to what we believe about God is what we believe because our parents told us who God was. That maybe the church that we grew up in told us who God was. Maybe our youth ministry that we used to go to, to Sunday school with or our children's ministry taught us who God was. Maybe our peers at school, maybe we didn't grow up in church, but we got enough from our friends at school. Maybe the media, maybe what we've seen in pop culture, maybe we see um, how you know, rap artists wear the tattoos of crosses and things like that and the prayer hands, and we, and we see certain people after they won a Super Bowl, they, they want to praise God, and, and, and that's kind of all we know about God because of the traditions that have been wrapped around our lives. And Paul at this time indicates that when he was Saul, he was just like those things, and those were the same exact things that blinded him from who God really was. And it's important for us to understand that just like Saul, we need to see that these these traditions that we have can at times, if we're not careful, hinder what God really is and who he's really trying to be in our lives. It can blind us from the heart of it. And if you're a member of the Crossings Church, you're not exempt from this either. You know, if you're visiting with us today, you know, maybe you have a certain idea of God. And, and, I, and I, would, I would pray that just like in the book of Mark, he, you know, he addresses this, the traditions of elders and, and that we would have an open mind. Because anyone that doesn't have an open mind, that God maybe isn't what they actually see, is closed-minded towards a relationship with God. You see, because God, I believe, is always wanting us to see him in a way that can impact our hearts for the rest of our lives. And I think sometimes even at the Crossings Church, we can get this, this arrogance that the, the church knows better because we're the Crossings. And you always want to have pride, right? In Illinois, especially small town where, where we kind of are, you know, you, you want to judge other schools because they go to other schools, right? Like I went to Bethalto, so I, I played sports in Bethalto. And so if I'm talking to some Collinsville kid, I'm like, oh, no, you, you're, you suck because you're Collinsville, I'm Bethalto, right? But then you get some Alton kids involved and like, no, well, you both suck because you didn't go to Alton, you know? And then you got some Eversville kids. They're saying, oh, you all, all, all y'all suck because you didn't go to Eversville. And we get this pride about where we're from because it's all we've known. And it's funny because I grew up in Bethalto. 
Uh, well, I actually grew up in Cottage Hills, which is the outskirts of Bethalto, so I was kind of like an outsider in my own town, right? And then I go to Bethalto, and I think it's like the best thing ever, and then I go to college, and I'm like, what in the world was I, was I doing hanging out in Bethalto my whole life? You know, I was like, there's a whole world outside of Bethalto. And for me growing up, Bethalto kind of taught me that the culture of the Bethalto bubble was all that there was in the world. And all you want to do is grow up and live in Bethalto, and there's nothing different about Bethalto, right? But then I, I, I go out to Troy, which is where I live now. And Triad and Bethalto are in the same conference. So growing up in high school, I played all these sports, and I was like taught to hate Triad taught to hate Troy, you know, and I, and I go out there, and we play sports in high school, and I was like, man, this place sucks, knowing that their, like, facilities are, like, way better than our facilities. I'm like, this turf is terrible, and the, but, like, in my head, I'm like, man, I wish we had turf back home, man, like, our, our, fields are, our fields are not this nice, but, like, I hate it because that's not from where I'm from. It's just, it's dirty turf out here, you know, like, it's, and we'd have this different mindset, but then I get older, right, and I graduate, I graduate college, and I, and I get married, and I have kids, and we move out here, and we start looking for houses, and I'm like, well, I want my kids to grow up in Bethalto because I'm from Bethalto. And then we start looking at different houses, and I'm like, well, you know, Troy's got actually cheaper houses than Bethalto does, and Troy's going to give some grants out if you choose to live in this town. And there's not a lot of drama out here in Troy, you know, and there's not a lot of there's not a lot of craziness, and I'm not and I'm not dissing people from Bethalto because I'm from Bethalto. But what I what I had kind of thought in my life was that this is all that there was because it's how I was raised, and so now I have this mindset that even in my own context, because of the things that I was raised and I grew, I was grew, I grew up in, that that's not all there is to life. And I think Saul you know, at that moment in his life felt that same way, that that's all he knew. And now that he's become Paul in Acts 22, he's trying to plead with these people saying, listen, everything that you kind of grew up in, everything that you've known, that's not it. That's not all. And when you choose to believe that that's all there is in this world is this bubble of what you live in, then you're going to be really blind to what God wants to do in your life. You're going to be truly blind to what Jesus has in store for your life. And so my challenge to all of us, whether we're part of the crossings or not, whether we're Christians or not, is when it comes to our relationship with God, we don't just stay inside of a bubble of what we've always known because we feel it's the right thing to do or because we feel like we're going to dishonor a parent or dishonor a church, but we need to, li we need to live in, in, a, in a mindset that we want to pop any bubble that tries to form in our lives because God is always ever working and trying to mold us into the men and women he's created us to be in the first place. And anytime we put a bubble in place, it blocks that. So just like, um, you know, so when we talk about this, that our tradition can blind me from the truth. Number two, I can be zealous about God, but lost. I can be zealous for God, but lost. And so he continues right down this. And we're, gonna, we're actually just going to walk straight through Acts 22 and talk about all the different things he addresses in this crowd. And, he, and right after he gets someone talking about the traditions and where they're kind of from, he goes right into it and says, I was just as zealous for God as many of you are today. He's talking about when he was Saul. I persecuted the followers of this way. Keep in mind that the way is capitalized, capital W. He's talking about the real way, not the, not the Pharisees' way, not the not the self-righteous way, but the actual way of Jesus and knowing who he was when he died on the cross and changing the trajectory of the Christian faith. He said, I, per I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them in prison. As the high priest and all the council can themselves testify, 
I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. You see, he's trying to even explain to them, like, listen, I was just on fire for God as you were. I was just as passionate about my relationship with God as you guys were. And that word zealous, we hear that word zealous, like, well, what does that mean? Like, and, you know, it kind of can maybe translate into like a high passion or just very involved or a high excitement level. But, you know, like in the first, in the first century, they would say zealous is like, if you were like a forger of like metals and materials and you'd stick like a sword into a flame for a little bit and you pull it out and you touch it, like, oh, that's hot. Like it's, bur- it's burning, you know, metal, but it's not a different color or anything like that. Like you couldn't mold it yet. Um, that would just be a really hot piece of metal. But if you would stick a piece of metal into a, a burning pot um, or into, into a fireplace that was burning so, so hot and you pull it out and it would be glowing a different color, you know, if you've ever seen like Forge and Fire or whatever it is, they would say that that metal is now zealous because it is at the, it is at the highest point of what it's called to be before it can be changed and molded or start melting away. And so they would say that that was a zealous piece of metal, right? Same, like water, for example. If they put a pot of water over a, a, a fireplace and it sit there for 10 or 15 minutes, right, you stick your finger in and be like, ooh, that's hot, right? But it's not really doing anything yet. But then if it started boiling to the point where it was about to evaporate, if it got any hotter and they, and they touched it, like, ooh, that's zealous. That's super hot. That's what you can maybe illustrate what zealous is in a relationship with God. That you could say, oh, they're a Christian, you know, because you see them at church or you see them um, reading their Bibles or you see them, um, you know, staying away from certain things. But somebody who's super fired up in every aspect of their life was to glorify God and everything they did with their lives was centered around their relationship with God and every decision they made and everything they did. That would, that would have indicated a zealous person who showed zeal in their relationship with God. And Paul is not saying that this crowd was not that. You know, that's crazy, right? He sits here and he says that I was just as zealous as you guys are today. So this isn't a crowd that's like hating God. They're not like hating Christianity. They're not hating scripture. He's saying, I I was just as zealous as you guys are today. But he's trying to indicate that just because they're zealous doesn't mean they're doing things right. Because Saul was zealous at that time before this, right? And Saul persecuted followers of the way. Now, how does that work, right? I'm so zealous for God, I'm going to kill these people. You know, I'm so zealous for God, I'm going to throw these people in prison. And it's because you can still have a zealousness about you. You can still have zeal in your life. But if you don't have knowledge to go with it as to why you do what you do, you're not doing it for the right reasons. You know, I don't think God is going to excuse zeal for ignorance. Man, you did some really messed up stuff when you were on earth, but man, you loved me. <laughs> like, you, you know, you, you did some crazy, crazy radical things that just don't make sense with my word. But you were so ignorant, you didn't know who I was. I, I, I guess you're fine. I don't think that's what's going to happen. You know, it, sa- it says in Proverbs 19.2, it says, Zeal is not good without knowledge. And the one who acts hastily sins. Right? It can be real easy to be fired up about something, be really passionate about something, to really want to do something. But if you have no knowledge or understanding on how to do it and you just rush into it because it's just something you really want to do, you can really do some damage. 
You know, if, you're, if you think about like an athlete that's, you know, a basketball game, they're about to make, it's like a tie game at the end of the game, it's a championship game, and they, they just really want to win this game. They're, they're putting their heart on it, they're doing everything they can, but they could care less to have the coach draw up a play for them. They just want to go out there and do their thing because they know that their thing is about passion, and their thing is about heart, and their thing is about grit, and they have no idea that the team on the other side is about to triple team the guy who has that same mindset, Right? He doesn't get open. He throws up some crazy shot, loses the game when he's got two other guys wide open on the sidelines. If he was really zealous about the win, he was really zealous about the purpose, he would have maybe not thought so much about what he was doing and thought more about the mission of what was trying to be accomplished. And I think in our relationship with God, we can do that sometimes as well. We can be so zealous about what we want in our relationship with God. We can, be, we can have so much passion and so much whatever, and we just start to blaze a trail in ignorance because it's the direction we want to go, but we have no idea how it's going to impact the people around us. We have no idea if it's the right thing or not. We just know it's between us and God, and we want to blaze a trail, and no matter who gets hurt on the way, at least I'm zealous. At least I have zeal. And so there's got to be a challenge that, I, you know, I encourage zeal. The Bible wants us to have zeal. God wants us to have zeal in our lives. But he also wants us to be smart. He wants us to have knowledge. He wants us to know why we do what we do and not just do it, kind of can snowball into the first point, because maybe our church taught us that or our parents taught us that or you know, our friends taught us that. We can get really fired up about that stuff, right? Some of you guys are probably super fans of some teams that you don't even know why you're a fan of that team, other than your mom or dad sat in front of a TV and watched that team your whole life, right? Why do you, why do you root for them? I, that's why I'm so confused why there's so many Cubs fans. You know, I, I guess it's just, it gets, because I, I wouldn't be zealous to watch them. You know, they're terrible. <laughs> I was like throwing the Cubs under the bus, right? But maybe there's a lot of generations of families that just watched it and that people are passionate about that and then they'll go to those games and I'm like, do you really understand what you are cheering for? You know, like it's not that great. And I can say that about, like honestly, I can say that even about sports. Like so many, so many times we get so passionate about things that don't even matter, but it's that same kind of illustration. We can be so passionate about something because it's been handed down to us, but we really don't understand why we're passionate about those things. And that's what Paul's trying to illustrate to the crowd. You don't understand the knowledge of to why you do what you do. The zeal is great, but the knowledge is lacking. So I can be zealous about God, but lost. Thirdly, Jesus really is who he claimed to be. Like Saul Tarsus, I need to see that Jesus really is who he claimed to be. You know, sometimes we don't think like that. Saul didn't at the time. You know, Saul was killing people that chose to live in the way. Saul was killing people because there, there was a false claim on this Jesus guy, so Saul chose to persecute people because he didn't believe that Jesus was who he really was until Jesus revealed to Saul at that time who he really was. And this is a cool point, too, in Acts 22 as we follow along this a little bit. Paul's conversion happened a, 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 just, just a few chapters earlier in Acts. And within a few chapters, 
Paul is, is giving his testimony to people. Like the story happens twice in Acts, if, like if you read through it, right? You see the actual story happen. And then a couple chapters later, you see him talking about what just happened, right? And it's like I'm, it's like I'm reading a rerun, you know? Like it's the same thing in the same book. But that is such a great challenge to us to say how well, how often do you use your story? How often do you use what God has done to you and for you for the benefit of others? Paul got right on it. And he talks to this crowd and he says, About noon as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground. I heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that such a weird sit- sentence? Who are you, Lord? You know, like, it's not like some random false god. He capitalized that. Like, he knows that this is the guy in charge. He says, who are you, Lord? I asked. And here's the response. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. Now, here's the most important part of this verse. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. See, this was the moment that Saul finally understood that Jesus was who he said he was. Jesus was who he claimed to be. Because this is the moment where Saul acknowledged Christ as Lord. And it's an important note to know that because up until this point, that was not known. To Saul. Up until this point, that was something that was not believed. He believed in God, for sure. He tried to be zealous for God, for sure. But he had never acknowledged that Jesus Christ was Lord. And the moment he did, his whole life changed. It says, get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you be told what you have been assigned to do. And see... There's a huge piece of the puzzle here for us to, to be churchgoers, for us to be Christians, for us to be disciples, for us to be whatever you want to claim yourself to be, followers of, of, of whatever, that there has to be an acknowledgement that Jesus Christ was not just somebody who died on a cross to get us a free pass to heaven, but that Jesus Christ was Lord in the first place. And Jesus Christ has always been Lord. And Jesus Christ is calling us to acknowledge him as Lord so that we can look to him and say, what shall I do? What am I supposed to do with my life because I've acknowledged this? You see, I think that there are still a lot of churches, even in, not churches, I think there's a lot of Christians (coughs) that still have not acknowledged this even though they've been baptized even though they go to church, even though they have parents that have grown up in churches, even though they see what they see in media and peer, I think there's a lot of people, and I've been guilty of this before as well, that just have this belief in God but have never really acknowledged Christ as Lord because when you acknowledge Christ as Lord, it changes the way you live life. It is no longer just a thought process, but it now becomes a life process. Paul doesn't say here, what shall I change in my theology, Lord? 
What shall I now acknowledge you as, Lord? He says, what shall I do? What am I supposed to do now? How is my life supposed to change now that I know this? And I think sometimes people, if we look at our lives, we can say, you know, I've, I've been in church for 20 years. I've been in church for five years. I've been in church for however many years. And my life doesn't look any different than it was before. My challenge is, have you ever acknowledged that Jesus is Lord? Have you ever brought lordship into your life? Because that will change your life. You see, I have had people say, you know, once I started going to church, my life changed because I acknowledged Christ as Lord. I've also had people say, you know, I grew up in church for 20 years, but it wasn't until I really understood who Jesus was that my life changed. And I think that's a cool thought that Saul was able to connect to. And in 1 John 1, verses 1 and 2, it says, we want to tell you about the Word. The Word's capitalized for a reason here. The Word that gives life. The one who existed before the world began. This is the one we have heard and have seen with our own eyes. The word he's talking about here, this is Jesus Christ. He's talking about Christ in flesh. We saw what he did and our hands touched him. Yes, the one who is life was shown to us. We saw him and so we can tell others about him. We now tell you about him. He is eternal life that was with the God the Father and was shown to us. You see, the one with life was shown to them and their lives completely changed. And that's exactly who Jesus represents. He represents life change. He represents a hope. He represents something that we can look at our lives and say, once this has been shown to me and it was tangible, for these guys, they were able actually to physically touch and feel him. And they had no other option but to feel the gratitude of a complete life change, they, what did it say they wanted to do? We can now tell others about him. We can now tell you about him. You see, there's a gratitude that comes in place with a life change. Maybe some of you guys have already experienced this, and you guys know exactly what I'm talking about, because at one point in your life, you were lost. At one point in your life, you were stuck in the same rut, and you're doing the same pattern time and time and time again. And Jesus showed you life change, but at that same moment, he showed you that he was Lord. And it changed everything about your life. And because of that gratitude, you now choose to live a life that shows others and shares with others the same things that you have been shown. And maybe you haven't experienced that yet. And if not, I'm glad you're here. Because today's the day. Today's the day for you guys to, to understand and to see that God has had a hope for you because he sent his son to die on a cross for you, to give you a new life, to give you a better life, to give you a hope, to give you a future that you can feel grateful for as you walk through it. And so what we're going to do here in a second is we're going to take communion. And as we take communion, I want you guys to look at those symbols of, of the cracker and the juice that represent the, the body and the blood that was spilt and broken for each and every one of us, for you specifically, to have an opportunity to have a better life, to have an opportunity to see something different, that there should be a gratitude as you take those emblems to say, what shall I do? It can be easy to take those and say, thank you, Jesus, but it can be very hard to take those and say, what shall I do?
because the difference is one is viewed as a savior and one is viewed as a Lord. And I challenge us today as we take communion to have both entities in place, but to focus on what shall I do, Lord, as we walk through this. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you so much for being a savior and a Lord, for sending your son, Jesus, to die on a cross to be a savior and to be a Lord. God, it's, it's great to be saved, but if I have no direction on what that looks like, my life is just a mess. And so I'm so grateful that I can have that gratitude to, to have a salvation, but to also have a direction. And God, I know there's been times in my life where I have not had direction. I've been, I've been lost, even though I felt saved. And God, it's so much better whenever I can view you as Lord, and I view Jesus as Lord because of what he did on the cross. So thank you for sending your son. And I pray also in Jesus' name, amen. All right, number four, it's like Saul Tarsus. I need to see that God will humble me in order to help me. Now, this one's not fun. <laughs> this one's not fun to talk about. Um, it says in Acts 22, 11, it says, My companions led me by the hand to Damascus because of the brilliance of the light had blinded me. You see, God's going to humble us one way or another. Um, if we really want to enter into a relationship with God, the way he views us, the way he sees us, a humility is going to have to take place. Because if we acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, and we acknowledge that God is Lord, then that means that we acknowledge that we are not. And any time that we are not Lord of something, a humility has to happen. A, 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 lesser, a lesser place needs to be taken on, on our behalf. Um, and that's not fun. <laughs> nobody, nobody likes to, to, to take, a, take second place, right? Who, who in here strives for second place? <laughs> like, it's, just, it's just not natural in our, in our human nature to not want to be the best at whatever we do. Um, but he calls a humility out of us. In Psalms 25, 9, it says, He leads humble people to do what is right, and He teaches them the way. You see, there's an incredible benefit in humility because God wants us to follow Him. God wants, He wants to lead the way, but once again, just like, we lead, just like leading the way means that there has to be a fellowship that happens. And unfortunately, um, that's where humility has to kick in because I mean, we, we probably don't, in our, in, our, in, our, in our normal nature, we normally don't probably pray prayers to say, God, humble me. <laughs> you know, like, you don't, we don't really talk about that a lot. God, I'm so arrogant. Just humble me, you know? Not a lot of people say that. Unless they're like, you know, I'm, I'm so, uh, you know, I am so humble, so I don't need humility. You know, those people would probably need to pray that. You know, I am so arrogant, you need, need to humble me. But we normally don't pray that. But... How many of you guys would probably say you pray prayers like this? God, please lead me. God, please, please direct me. I'm so lost right now. I don't know what to do in the situation. Can you, can you help guide me? Or maybe we feel like we've just kind of been stuck in a rut for a little bit. I'm like, God, I just don't know what to do with my life right now. Can we relate to that one a little bit more? Right? We, we probably pray those prayers a lot where we feel like we're stuck. Or we feel like we don't know what to do. Or we feel like, how did I get here? And we need help. 
We pray those prayers a lot. But we don't straight up pray, God, please humble me. But I want you to understand that they are the same thing. Because that's what happens in a relationship with God. Because for us to let him lead us, for us to follow him, for, for him to get us out of these situations, to get us out of these holes, two things, there's two options for that prayer to ever be answered. The first option, which is the one that I would recommend, but we tend to never do, is that the individual praying chooses to humble themselves and say, God, I don't know what to do here, but i got to humble myself to know I don't know what to do here, so I'm just going to take a step back and let you lead. That's the easiest way to do it. But we don't, we don't do that, right? <laughs> we choose not to go that way. We say, God, I don't know what to do here, but I think this is what I should do, so I'm going to do this. And it's a backhanded prayer because what we're saying is, God, I want you to lead me, but I'm just going to lead myself. I want, I want you to take control, but I'm going to control it. And in that second option, God has to humble us to help us understand that that's how he can direct us and lead us. So you got two choices. You either choose to humble yourself or you let God do it for you. I would not recommend the second option. <laughs> like, I would not, because that's what Saul did, right? He believed in God. And so what did God have to do? He had to blind the man, right? Do any of you want to be blind to show your humility? Does anyone today want to take that hit and say, you know what, I'm just going to wait for God to blind me physically blind me, and then I'm going to be good. Does anybody, we don't want that, right? We don't want to go that severely, but that's what has to happen. And maybe you don't want to hear this today, but sometimes God will hurt you to humble you. It will happen. There will be times in your life where God, the only way for him to get into your heart, for, for you to see that he is in charge, is he will have to hurt you. It wasn't a benefit to Saul's life to become blind. He wasn't any better off that he was blind. But he was temporarily hurt so he could change his heart to see God who, who, for who he really was. You know, we, we, here at the Crossings Church, we walk through um, some different studies. We look, we look through different scriptures, and, and one of the scriptures we talk about, um, we talk about in Scripture how it talks about the Word is living and active in Timothy, and we talk about how it's, it's sharper than any double-edged sword. And we talk about that's what the word is, that it, it's, 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 it's talked about in Scripture that the word, the Bible itself, is a double-edged sword, indicating that it's sharp. And it talks about penetrating joints and marrow, right? It talks about how it can divide soul and spirit. It talks that the word is that sharp. And so what I usually do when I sit down and I talk with somebody about the Bible um, is I say, listen, which one sounds better to you? Some random shady guy in the, in, 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 hidden in some, in some crazy, um, you know, alley, some dark alley, and he jumps out of this trash pile and flips out a, a knife and says, hey, let me cut you, you know? Like, does that sound pretty cool? Usually not, right? And everybody's like, no, no, no. I, would you, I, and I asked, I said, would you, would you let that guy cut you? Would you be like, oh, yeah, sure, here's, here's my arm, right? Would you, would you let that happen? 
No, you probably wouldn't. You'd be like, no way, I'm running the opposite direction or I'm, you know, I'm going to fight this guy, I'm going to get that, I, like, but he's not cutting me. It's not going to happen, right? Well, let me, and I said, well, there, there's another option, right? Now you're, you're, you're laying in a hospital and you're on a bed and a doctor comes in and says, listen, you have a, ginorm- you have a ginormous tumor and I need to cut into you with the scalpel to get that out. Are you going to let him cut into you? Well, of course. Of course I'm going to let him cut into you. Well, why? Because I want to be healed. I want, I want to change. I want, I want something. I, I want to have a hope that I can continue my life. Well, why don't you want the guy in the alley to cut you? <laughs> well, he just wants to hurt me. He just, he just wants to harm me. He just wants to do damage. Okay, that's what the Bible is. Which one do you think the Bible is? Well, it's, it's obviously the doctor. I said, but here's the thing. Which one's going to hurt less? Neither. Because a cut is a cut, no matter if it's some dude in an alley or some dude on a table. And for some reason, we get it in our heads That when the Bible says it's a sword, a sharp sword that can divide soul and spirit, joints and marrow, that for some reason it's going to hurt differently than any other sword that we let cut our bodies. And we think that God is going to heal us without hurting us ever. And that's just not the the case. You see, the, the intention of cutting is always going to hurt But the outcome can either be to hurt more or to hurt less. You see, when we choose to let God cut us, it is going to hurt. There's no getting around it. When you live a life of sin and God starts to cut that out of your life like tumors, it is not going to feel good because it is the normal and natural way you have lived for your whole life. And now he is cutting out those things. You say, this kind of hurts. I'm not used to this. I don't like this. But his intentions are to heal and to bring hope. But when we choose to cut ourselves, we just keep doing more damage. We just keep hurting ourselves. I just went through a bad breakup. So what am I going to do? I'm going to go get drunk at the bar because I'm just going to forget about it. It's going to feel good for a little bit, but there's that little cut, and it hurts. And then what happens? Well, eh, something bad happened at work, so I'm going back to the bar. I cut myself even deeper, and it hurts. And so now we start spiraling downhill, and we we become an addict. That's not the kind of hurting that God does to us. That's not the kind. We're doing that to ourselves. But in this life, there will be pain. In this life, there will be hurt. And choosing to let God humble you is going to bring about a hurt. But it's not going to be anywhere near as hard because the intent is to heal as how much we hurt ourselves because the intent that we have is to just keep ourselves as Lord and we're going to keep hurting ourselves and doing more and more damage until finally we either humble ourselves or we let God humble us to finally heal. And that's exactly what happened to Saul which turned him into Paul. So God will humble me in order to help me. There's always an intent. Think about the intent. Fifth, like Saul Tarsus, I need to see that 
Number five, finding God will involve following people. You know, how cool would it be if I was like, God, please just guide me. And then, boom, those doors back there just opened up, and this crazy Morgan Freeman voice comes up. And is like, all right, follow me, my son. You know, and I'm like, finally, I can follow God. You know, like we think that that's what's going to happen whenever we choose to look for God or we choose to kind of get healing for God, right? But that's not how God operates. That's not what God does. In Acts 22, 13, he humbles Paul. And what does he do? He says, my companions led me to the hand of Damascus because of the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a great devout observer of the law and respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. At that very moment, I was able to see him. You see, from being led by those he had been leading to being taught by the one he would have persecuted, Paul's conversion, it had, it had required human assistance. You know, I think sometimes when we want God to, to lead us, we think it's just this divine us and God situation, and it's not. And I think that's why God, is, why God established the church in the first place. That's why God created Adam and didn't leave it at just one dude, and he created Eve as well, to create a relationship that happens not just divinely, but also relationally uh, across the board that we can have a relational relationship with God, but he has also given us an opportunity to have relational relationships with one another while we're here to give us direction, to give us hope, to give us those doors opening up. You know, I don't think that God is going to divinely, I mean, he could, he's God. I don't think he's going to bust those doors open, but I guarantee you each and every one of you guys could, right? If I was so lost and I needed help, I would hope that God could open those doors for me, but I know what God's probably going to do is he's going to inspire one of you guys to love me. He's going to fill one of you guys with a spirit of love. He's going to fill one of you guys. He is going to do it still, but he's going to do it through you. That one of you may love me enough to go open that door and say, follow me. And that's what Paul got. He got people in his life. And I think a lot of us, you know, we probably have some church hurt. I have lots of church hurt. I've had lots of issues with other Christians with, with other agendas, doing things that weren't necessarily godly for their own intentions. And I've been hurt by those things. But we can't give up on people because some people mess up. We can talk about any, any issue in culture. We can talk about all the, all, the, all the, you know, here we go. We can talk about the black community and the cops, right? We can talk about that all day and say, oh, all cops are bad. You know, or we sit here and talk about teachers and how teachers choose to do stupid stuff with kids. Say, oh, I ain't sending my kids to school. All schools are bad. All teachers are bad. We talk about any little thing. We can talk about um, just the corrupt generation that we have in politics. Like, oh, nope, all, all authority is bad. Or we can talk about any little thing. People who choose to abuse money say, oh, nope, all money is bad. And we can sit here and we can look at every topic and culture and peg that community for what they are. And you know what, you know what church hurt people do? Say, Psh, all churches are bad. And we do the same exact thing that the culture does with people in the world. And what God's trying to say is, listen, there are people in this world who do not have me as Lord. Some of them like to sit in buildings on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. But that does not dismiss that there are still some people who do treat me as Lord. And it is our responsibility if we want to be led by God, if we want to acknowledge him as Lord, that we have to take the time and fight through the hurt to find those people. 
I would not be the father that I am today if it was not for me trying to find those people. I just wouldn't. I would not be the husband that I am today without those people. I had some sense of models in my life growing up, but I didn't have a lot. I didn't have a lot of people in my life that put scripture first, that put Jesus' Lord first in my life growing up. I came from a broken background. But I've also had some people in my life through this walk that have not given me the greatest advice, that have walked away from me, that have hurt me. And it has damaged me in some ways. But man, I can only imagine what kind of husband or father I'd be like if I just chose to quit on people. I don't even know. Because there have been so many moments in my life since I've been married with my kids that I've been like, you know what, forget this, I'm done. I just, I want a break. I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to, I don't want to be fighting anymore. I don't want to deal with these responsibilities anymore. I miss, I miss the days where it was just me and myself. And if I didn't have people that help guide me, I would not be the man that I am today. And there's a lot of people in this room that would probably say that same thing. And I, just, I want to encourage you guys to understand that God wants to work in your life and God wants to be Lord, but God is going to do that by sending people into your life that want to love you. And if you're visiting today, the Crossings Church is a great place to look for some of those people. But I'm not going to sit here and, and, and universally say every single person in this building right now has got the best interest in, in heart for you. I can't. We all have sin we deal with. We all have selfishness we deal with. We all struggle with putting Jesus as Lord. But I'll tell you what, there's, there is a good place here for you to find some, some humble people. They're trying their best to acknowledge that, but still work through it. And that's why I love this church. Number six, like Saul of Tarsus, I need to see that, number six, God still has a purpose for my life. Looking at Paul's background, when he's when he's talking to these people, I, it's it's so crazy. Like, has has any has any of you killed a Christian? Like, anybody commit murder in here lately? For real, has anybody? <laughs> I need to make I need to make a list. If I saw any hands up, I probably shouldn't have turned. Has anybody committed murder lately? I, I like I need to know. All right, I will snitch. Um, no, but uh, we probably haven't, right? And, and it's crazy to think that Paul would address this crowd and say, man, I used to murder people. I used, I used to crucify these people. I used to throw them in prison. And, and he still, like, he uses that to his advantage. Like, there are some things in my story, I'm like, I don't want to share that part. Like, I don't think that that part is really going to help anybody. That part's pretty rough. But he, he got raw and he threw it all out there hoping that something that would catch, right? And I think that we need to acknowledge that no matter how messed up our backgrounds are, is God still has a purpose for our life. Because like I said, none of y'all have been murdering anybody lately, and Paul was doing that as Saul, and yet God still had a purpose. Paul was, Paul was the most influential human being to ever walk this earth that was born by an earthly mother and father. You, you, you understand that, right? Like outside of Jesus Christ who was divinely born, Paul 
is the most influential Christian for the faith that has ever walked this earth in Scripture. And his baggage and his background is just way worse than any of us could ever imagine. It's crazy to think that's where he was. And then he says here in Acts 22, he says, Then he said, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witnesses to all people of what you've seen and heard. God chooses and picks him out and uses him despite all this other stuff. Ephesians 2.10 says, God has made us what we are in Christ Jesus. God made us new people so that we would spend our lives doing the good things he had already planned for us to do. You see, I I do want to sit here for a second and and challenge us because I think it's easy for us as Christians, and maybe now I'm talking to the church for a second. It's easy for us as Christians that when we talk about our testimonies, we talk about our past life. You know, it's easy for me to go to a college campus as a campus minister and say, hey, man, I want to reach out to you a little bit. I grew up without a dad. You grew up without a dad. And look at where my life's at now. And, and it's because of God. And, you know, I can talk about some things that happened, you know, 15 years ago that I struggled with when I was 18 years old. It's easy for me to talk about that stuff. What is not easy for me to talk about, church, is the crap we still deal with today. See, it's easy to talk about what we were before God But it's not very easy to challenge the image of what we are now with God. You see, I've been learning and I've been working on my own life that I'm no better than I was when I was a high school kid growing up with those same issues. The only thing different is God has given me a hope on how to deal with those things. I struggle with A, B, and C whenever I was in high school. And I still struggle with A, B, and C. And I, tell, I say that to people when they get baptized, right? Whenever somebody's like, I want to live my life for Christ. I want to I surrender my life and I want to die to myself. And then they get baptized and I, and, I, and I look at them and I say, you know, Satan doesn't go, shucks. Now I got to figure out how to get them. Because they struggle with porn. That water, just they're not going to struggle with it no more. You know, or it's like they struggle with, with addiction. There's something special about that water. That's not how it works. We still live in the world. Satan goes, I'm going to get you the same exact way as I got you before. But for some reason, we think as Christians, people don't need to know that we struggle with that same stuff anymore. People don't need to know that Satan still gets us in the same ways. Satan's too clever, and he controls this world. And he knows exactly how to get at us to pull us out of that new life. The only thing different now is that we do live in a new world in our kingdom mindset. And we have a new hope on how to respond to those things and how we can work forward with those things. You see, and this is something I've been, I've been thinking about over the last couple of weeks or so. But like, for me to connect with somebody that I didn't grow up with a dad, that's cool. You know, it's, it's, it's useful. But that's not what they need. They don't care. People don't care that we shared the shame struggles. They need hope that they can get through those struggles. But telling them that a relationship with God is going to erase those struggles is a lie. And I think sometimes we choose as Christians to say this life is so much better, but we communicate it in a way that's like this life is so much different because we don't have to deal with that stuff anymore. But that's a lie. 
I still deal with abandonment issues that my dad wasn't around whenever I was a kid. It's just a different face. It's a, it hits a little different now that I'm a father, you know? It hits a little different now that I do have a wife. It hits a little different on different elements. My pride, my, self, my, my selfish ambitions in high school, it hits a little different, but I still got them. And I think that if churchgoers, if Christians would choose to not just say, hey, everything's better now that I'm a Christian, and be real and be humble and say, you know, life is still really hard, but I'm grateful that God's given me a new world. He's, he's given me something with my life. He's given me something. He, he's, got, he's got a mission for me. He's got a purpose for me. That I still deal with this stuff, and I want you to know that I'm not perfect. I want you to know that I'm still figuring this stuff out. But man, God has given me a hope on how to deal with some of this stuff so that I don't feel lost anymore. So I don't feel hopeless anymore. I bet a lot of your classmates and coworkers would respond to Christianity a little differently if you, commun- if you communicated that way, right? If you shared your faith in that way to not make it seem like you're better than everyone else, but you shared your faith in a way that made it realize you're human just like everybody else. I bet the Christian faith would get more responses. I bet we'd be more receptive to the world. I bet instead of fighting with the world, if we were related with the world, people would want help just like we wanted help. Because we still need the help. Just like everybody else. But we have a purpose now. And that's what helps with the help. Lastly, like Saul Tarsus, I need to see that number seven, saving faith is obedient faith. Saving faith is obedient faith. <clears throat> Acts twenty two sixteen. And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. You see, saving faith has always and will always be obedient faith. Even Paul understood this to the point where he got baptized because he had realized that there was, there was a lack of obedience happening in his life. And obedience, and you know what, I'm not going to sit here and talk about baptism all day. We'd be here all day, right? But obedience itself doesn't diminish God's grace, you know, because there's this huge debate in, in the Christian faith being like, well, God's given grace to all, and, and Jesus died on the cross so we could all have grace, and we could all go to heaven. Yeah, that's true, but obedience has always been a part of that because obedience doesn't diminish that element of God's grace, but it is a demonstration of what real faith looks like. You see, from Genesis to Revelation, the entire scripture, it has always been clear to see that faith that is pleasing to God has always been a faith that is obedient to God. Not one place where you see in scripture where it says, God's people were not obedient, but they were faithful. (laughs) You won't find that in scripture. What these people did was really displeasing to the Lord, but he still knew they had a great faith. You know, it's nowhere to be found. Even James talks about in Scripture that even the demons believed, even the demons acknowledged, but that there was a non-obedient faith that took place in their lives. It's, it, it's weird to say it like that, but it's a demonic faith in a way that demons can believe in God, but not obey and follow it. And so the saving faith that we talk about, it's important for us to understand that it is, it is believing Saving faith is also obeying an obedient faith. 
2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9 says, He will take revenge on those who do not know God. Well, that makes sense. And on those who refuse to obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Such people will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction by being separated from the Lord's presence and from his glorious power. You see, this passage doesn't just condemn people who don't have faith. It talks about those whose faith refuses to obey. So it's clear that we have a choice to make. You know, I'd encourage you, if you believe that there is a God, that you start figuring out how to obey him. And the best way you can do that is to look into his word. And that's the choice I want to leave you guys with today is because we can be so blinded by the culture and by what religion is kind of getting at us today. It's so easy to be blinded by that. But just like Saul had to be blinded to see the real Jesus, my challenge is that you guys can do that today as well. That God will give you an opportunity to just look around and see if you see what Jesus is really intending to be instead of being blinded by what we've been running in. And that's my invitation for you guys to pull out this communication card today. So if you guys would like to, in your guys' bulletins, there's a communication card. I'd encourage you guys all to pull us out. And this is your opportunity to respond. This is your opportunity to take a little bit of that blindness that we talked about today and, and take a shot in the dark and say, maybe there are some things in my heart I need to work on in my relationship with God. Maybe I've never acknowledged Jesus as Lord, and I have just been living my life for myself, and I need some help. Maybe indicate that you'd like to study God's Word and know what obedience looks like. And somebody here at the church will, will contact you and will sit down with you, probably somebody who invited you, probably somebody that, you, that you've been acquaintances with, and they'll look through Scripture with you and say, listen, let's, let's look at what obedience really looks like and see if we've been living through that. Maybe you've got some things going on in your life that you, like, you just keep hurting yourself and you don't know why. I keep making terrible decisions. I keep, I, I don't, and, and maybe the answer is, is that you've never really learned how to humble yourself in a way that you can get the help that you need to get. And we have support services here for that. We have people who struggle with addictions. We've had people who struggle with divorce. We've had people who struggle with any little thing that you can think about in your life. We have people in this church that have, have walked through those lives and worked through those things that they still struggle with those things to this day, but that they live in a new hope because they live in a new world because God has blessed them with something because they acknowledge him now as Lord. I don't know where you guys are at today, but I know that everyone's somewhere and that Jesus wants to open our eyes to be able to give us a hope, and I encourage you guys to fill out that communication card today. Um, so what I'm going to do here in a second, I'm going to say a prayer, and I uh, want to encourage you guys all to stick around. I think that we're actually setting those things up right now. And so as soon as we're done, uh, we're going to have the worship team come up and sing some songs and to kind of finish us up for today. And then we encourage you guys to stick around um, and just have a great opportunity to talk about what we talked about today. Get to know somebody, get to know one another. If there's anything that stuck out today, just take some time to talk with a friend today. Don't wait all week, guys. I, I would hate to give a sermon and hate to do this and people just don't do anything with it. It's, it's, you got homework to do, you know, uh, and your homework is to talk to somebody. And so why wait all week when God's going to give you an opportunity? God's going to divinely, no, he's not, maybe he will, open those doors. If not, somebody back there will, and he's going to lead you into an opportunity to talk to somebody today. So please take advantage of that opportunity, and I'm glad that you guys are here. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the opportunity. Um, to humble us, for the opportunity for us to see one another for who we really are, for the opportunity to uh, be able to come to a place like this. And God, it can be easy to just come and eat some chili and go home. 
But God, it can be really hard to acknowledge you as Lord and figure out how in the world we need to get a hope and a future in a way that's going to change and impact the rest of our lives. But God, I pray that as we kind of walk through service today and as we walk through just the rest of the day, that it can be easy to go in one ear and out the other. Um, but God, I pray that we can take some things on our hearts. We can fill out those cards and maybe just pull somebody aside today while we're eating and just talk about just some things that we'd like to happen in our lives. Maybe just more community or help with some struggles or whatever it may be, God. I just pray that today can be a, a day that just like Saul was blinded and healed, that this can be a day like that for somebody else, Lord. I pray all this in your son's name. Amen.